Hi everyone. I know we're technically on hiatus at the moment, but I thought this would be a good opportunity to finally release the last two Campaign Builder episodes for the first quarter of that campaign. I know, it's been a long time since we've done anything Campaign Builder, but these have been sitting there locked and loaded and ready to go for a little while, so here you are for this week and next week on Tuesdays, and of course, there will still be Giants episodes on Thursdays. Have a happy holidays, stay safe, and happy birthday to Andre on December 14th. Welcome to the Campaign Builder. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we're building a full campaign as transparently as possible. In each episode, we're discussing overall plot points and focusing in on how to use dynamic encounters to make more engaging sessions. For more general discussions, look for Campaign Builder episodes called Foundations, or check out our Dungeon Mastery series on the regular It's a Mimic podcast. The party we're planning for includes a warrior, priest, mage, criminal, and outdoorsman as they explore their homebrew setting. At the beginning of this plot point, they're getting ready to battle the Archmage, who turned out to be the great villain hidden in their midst. All episodes are available on the It's a Mimic feed, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Everything is also nicely broken up into playlists on YouTube. Don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to, and head on over to itsamimic.com to support us by hitting the donate button there. And, now that we have appropriately pimped ourselves out, let's get to building. Next time we will inappropriately pimp ourselves out. No, just you. And that's on the other website. Right. Hey, Adam. Hey, Dan. Guess what? What? It's boss battle time. I, oh, I, I'm like, alright, cue, cue the music, here we go. Yeah, right? This, this is like the orchestral theme has got to start to play, the... the the battle has been laid out. There's a monologue involved. There's always a monologue involved. Uh, we're probably at the mouth of a volcano. Oh, or something. something. Like that. Yeah. Or, or over the ruins of some ancient civilization whose technology has advanced this one plot a certain distance. Regardless, a boss battle is something iconic, is something necessary. And now that we're at the end of a tier of Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition... We finally get to cover and blow out a massive boss battle. And I got to ask, why do we do this? Why is this such a popular trope in media, in video games, in D&D? Why, are, why is that like season ending boss battle so iconic? It's a danger factor. It is a danger factor. If you feel like you are in danger the entire time, you start to become numb to it. Yeah. Right. And you remember the things that that stick out for positive or negative reasons. And so with the boss battle, it goes one of two ways. It's very positive. You wiped out a big, great evil villain mm-hmm. or it's very negative because TPK. Yeah. So <laughs> someone died. Right. Yeah. And so uh, sometimes it can be both, right? Like we killed him, but so boss battles are there because this is the memorable thing that we've been building to for the last little while. I always look at television seasons as an example um, because the boss that they fight is usually introduced in the first episode of that season. Yep. And then sprinkled throughout the season. And then the last five or six episodes, you see more and more of them as it builds up and builds up and builds up. And then there's the big confrontation. I have a question that has nothing to do with the outline, has nothing to do 
um, with what we've got planned to talk about. But Adam, when you are looking at a TV show with the best method of um, introducing a boss, playing out the long game of the boss, and then having that boss battle at the end of the season, what show do you go to? Star Trek Deep Space Nine. DS9? Explain. They played the long haul with it. Look, standard, go to any Joss Whedon show. Yeah, I was going to suggest like a Buffy or an Angel or something. Even even with Dollhouse or, yep. or I mean, Firefly doesn't really count. But if you tack the movie onto the end of the season, there is one overarching idea of who the bad guy is. The, the Blue Sun group, right? Yep. Like, So there's... Joss Whedon is known for this. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did this really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to see... For the first couple seasons until he stopped being involved. Yeah. yeah. You see this... Th- a great example of this is um, Supernatural, right? Every season has a different feel to it, right? And every time, there's one big moment that they're building to and they really ramp it up in the last few episodes. Yeah, you go and, from Yellow-Eyed Demon to Leviathan, though, with Supernatural. And that's that's quite a leap of quality. My thing about Supernatural is the fact that each season is different where they introduce the enemy in the first episode and they slowly sprinkle it throughout and it just becomes more and more of a plot point until you reach your crescendo in the last episode. And then it changes the status quo and we move on. Make no mistake, the show Supernatural is a D&D game set in modern times with only two people in the party. Ah, three. They get a third player later on. He comes and goes though. He's not in every... Plays in every star. He, uh... Shut up, Dan. <laughs> No, he is a, but he shows up. He's that occasional player that shows up like every other week, right? Yeah. Like, so no. With Deep Space Nine, they introduced villains that were there that were just NPCs for the longest time. That slowly began to become worse and worse villains, and then spun out to do other things. And they really split their villainy many different ways. There was villains that became uh, heroes, and heroes that became villains, and. They did a great job of sprinkling the seeds early and then building on what they had. And everyone sits there and talks about what's-her-face in pink off of Harry Potter, the oh, Umbridge. And they talk about her being the most infuriating character of all time. Everybody knows someone like that. No, you go talk to me about, about Kai Wynn. She is by far the most infuriating, sickly sweet person out there that just wants the best for everyone, sweetheart. But she is conniving in the background and is... Fucking weird. She's she's wrong. So I really liked the character development in that show, and so that's why I say for me that is the the overarching storylines. And again, they only pop up here and there. It's all you know, with the exception of the war in the last couple of seasons. Yep. It's all monster of the week or issue of the week or technical malfunction of the week <laughs> or whatever it is. And so that's that's how D&D feels to me. Like we get through this session and it slowly builds the plot a little bit more and a little bit more. And we drop a couple of details in the background. The shit's getting kind of worse. Okay. So what we're trying to say is watch DS9 and I guess that's the episode. We could just end it here. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, uh, you've been listening. No, we're going to keep going. What other reasons for like a big boss fight? Now that we know like a good source of inspiration to draw on, why else do we it, have them? Sorry. CW shows are trash. They are hot garbage. And I do not recommend them to anyone. No, I do not recommend them to anyone. I've got higher standards than that. However, they are perfect at this building up to the big boss battle at the end of the season. That is their formula. And now that we've pointed it out, you will never unsee it. I Okay, yeah. There are some, and you and I have had this discussion off mic a few 
times, there are some bright lights in the CW lineup that that kind of beat that. Um, they extend past the expectations, and I guess it could be because expectations are low with the CW show. So of course they're going to exceed expect- expectations. But um, I don't know, man. The One Hundred does this very well, and the One Hundred does well for a DM like me who is just how do we make this just escalatingly weird every single episode it just gets more and more and more and more and more it's not it's not sustainable though right you know what else did that was lost and yep. battlestar galactica and i defend both of those shows but they were sloppy weird in some points it was weird for the sake of weird and i don't have any tolerance for that i want concise storyline i want to know what the heroes want to do and i want to watch them do it yep. and if there are twists and turns and suddenly there are things that are getting in the way that's fine and that's what i wanted D D. yeah i was right? about to say fortunately we have D to scratch that itch yeah and so um no if i want if i want weird i will go watch twin peaks never got into it all right, something a little more your speed than will be Gravity Falls. Yeah, probably. Um, which is just animated Twin Peaks ish. Anyway, okay. back to the topic. <laughs> so, so boss fights. There's uh, there are a number of different reasons that we do it, and but the main reason is it's because they're fun, they're epic and memorable, and we remember the villain, and we need to resolve the villain by the end. Yeah. And so, in order to do that, we have to make that villain a larger than life threat. And then we have to step up and defeat them. And if we do, I guess that means, by default, we're larger-than-life heroes. Well, I mean, there's a very good reason why the villains episode of the Campaign Builder was the second episode we did. Yep. Right? Like, it, it, it's, it is so integral to your prepping process to have that villain. And let's be honest, folks. The reason why you have a villain is to take them out. Yes, and right, it's, in it's a campaign. The same reason. Look, we betrayed the party. We we pulled the wool over their eyes for a while, and then we we showed them, hey, look, this guy was actually the bad guy in your midst the whole time, so that he can be defeated. Yeah, that's what all of this is. We were, we're not going to make it easy because if it's easy, then he wasn't really a villain. He was just a schlub. Yep. Well, I mean, that actually brings to mind a another question here. Um, we know that we have boss fights because it's iconic, it's fun, it gives us something to build towards as we're planning our campaign, but when you get down to the actual boss fight itself, what makes that different from a standard fight? Scope. Pure scope. Um, and the idea that the stakes are higher, mm-hmm. and that it all comes to a head right now in this moment in this day, this is a moment of destiny. This is a fated moment. This is something that the bards will sing about in you know 10 years right like and that's that's the goal for a dm to prep it is the end result of this has to be you know it could be the tragedy of sir leomond the brave who went up against the final boss but perished but did so in um a tiny hut oh probably um or it could be something like uh sir big b's hand i'm trying to reach for it now but um that like we want these songs to be around so as we are playing our games, we walk into the tavern in the random part of the world somewhere and they're singing a song about something we did. You want to know something? For me, personally, I don't give a fuck about the songs. I don't want songs. You know what I want? I want epic poems. Write the Iliad about the shit that I did. I want Beowulf. Yeah, right. Gawain and the Green Knight. That is the shit. And then I know that I've made an impact on this world. Mm-hmm. When they tell... When they tell lyrical, epic stories about me, that is, that's what I'm looking for. Any asshole can slap together a rhyming phrase. 
the whole The Witcher scenario with the bard whose name I can never remember on that? Um, well, Dandelion. Is that what it is? No, it's uh, Yaskier in the TV show, but in the books and in the game, it's Dandelion. Sure. Okay. The whole reason that he like follows him around to write songs and stuff, that bores me. I'm done. Like, I've seen it, right? I'm not... I want epic poetry written. Yeah. That's that's what I'm looking for. You you want your... Uh, just to get straight 5e here, you want your uh, College of Eloquence bard following around your Oath of Glory paladin. Yeah, sure. Uh, like, yes, I'm fine with that. doesn't even need to be an Oath of Glory paladin. It just needs to be... I've done something so, so badass, they will be talking about it. For generations. They're going to mass produce this book in hundreds of languages. And it's going to be on everyone's bookshelf. That's what I want out of a D&D campaign. And in order to do that, you need your Grendel to your Beowulf. You need your Achilles and your Hector. There needs to be that that smashing of wills. Nearly godlike. That mm. others will tell the stories. And remember, you're level 5. That makes you a god among men at this point. This, this is going to be the... Um, and, and, and this is one of the points we wanted to get across here is a boss fight is so much, um, higher stake in terms of like personal stakes. It, a lot of your main central plot is going to be developed in a boss fight. Um, they are, um, often more difficult and thus more dynamic fights as well. Um, they are introductory as well as, uh, uh, conclusive. In the fact that they end a story and start another. They can, right? but I mean, if it's the end of your campaign, at the end of Curse of Strahd, you, surprise, kill Strahd. What? And, and then it's over, right? Like, that's it. So you finish the hero's journey and you do your journey home, right? Yeah, so. right. But but there there is a, a, a breath that is taken, right? Like, th- something so momentous happens that... It will affect your characters going forth, even though it's level five for going on. So this is going to be more than just running into bandits on a road. Has to be, right? It 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 has to be something more than we just snuck in, took the thing, and left. What's interesting to me is in the fantasy trope we have this idea of the big bad evil guy, we, mm-hmm. this boss, this villain that we're fighting. We don't really have in my head. We have a single showdown of that in the lord of the rings there's a couple there's nothing earned there's no earned showdown at all it feels more like real war because the showdown is aragorn gimli and legolas against overwhelming odds and i'm talking about the books not necessarily the movie yeah, yeah. all right but even the nazgul versus eowyn right there's no history there no that's just two formidable people fulfilling a prophecy it it's only Golem versus Frodo. That's it. That is the showdown, right? Gandalf and Saruman never go toe to toe, right? You have Gandalf and the Balrog, but that's mutually assured destruction. Gandalf and oh, and and Sauron. Yes, Gandalf and Sauron never go toe to toe. Gandalf and Saruman do. No, they don't. No, they don't. Saruman ends up in the tower by himself, looking down. Gandalf wasn't even there for that. That was Treebeard that did it. Oh, you mean beforehand when they fought? Yeah. Yeah, but that's not the heroic moment. That's not the boss fight. That is a smackdown that is given. Yeah, that's true. Right? And so I see what you're saying. I'm like, no, that that that's a very specific plot point that yes, they do fight. No, but that is not the big heroic that's moment. That's not a of, boss fight. Yeah. Right. Every boss fight that we see is just the heroes against overwhelming odds. Yeah. Right? We think more about these these fake orcs that that suddenly just get more screen time front and center because they got better makeup, 
right? And then they get taken down. And we remember that. We remember surfing down Oliphants. Yeah. Right? But there's no one-on-one clash, which is what the Hobbit tried to do by giving, what was his name? Shark ass? Oh, the the crazy face guy? Yeah. The orc? Yeah. Uh, like the guy that was not in the books at all? The, yeah, I, I, he might have been in one of the other... In in the Silmarillion or something. Something. Yeah. Um, I don't remember him from any of the extended materials, but it's been a long-ass time since I've read them. But my point is that they tried so hard. But even that, Smaug versus Bard? Was that earned? Not really. Not really, no. And so we don't have this. There's no sense in our base fantasy trope that we lean on hard. That is not something that's there, and yet it is still an engaging story. But I would say that, remember, Lord of the Rings is more about the journey and the theme and not the plot and the climax, right? Yep. No, I mean, yes, 100% I would agree with you. Um, but you look to another popular way to get fantasy tropes out there in our modern world, video games. And I'll just call out Final Fantasy here as one of my favorite sources for this, especially when it comes to playing the long game, right? Um and like the 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 persistence of Kefka from a like royal henchman to a god in in Final Fantasy VI, yeah. right? That entire arc is brilliant, right? And if we can mimic a breath of that, we're golden. We don't want to end up in the realm of God of War, where it's just okay, we've killed this one big thing, and then let's move on to the next big thing, and then let's move on to the next big thing. But later God of War games, the the Bad guy development was a lot more. Those were earned boss fights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to have Neo versus Agent Smith. Yeah. Right? Luke versus the Emperor. We earned these fights. Yeah. Right? And But even more so than that, the Vader versus the Emperor was earned more if you look at the original six movies. Mm-hmm. I try not to, but let's be <laughs> honest that that is earned more than than the other way around. The idea of these boss fights that are so iconic, they are so important because the stakes are high. Everything's on the line. How many boss fights have we seen in media where a beloved character dies? Yeah. And there's lots of it. And sometimes it's an inciting incident that kicks off the boss fight, right? And the, the hero just becomes so enraged they've got to react. But a lot of times that's, that's not the case. It's in the battle, someone falls. And because we are hardwired to think that way, we're hardwired to say this boss fight needs to be mechanically difficult. And the point that I'm making is I don't think it needs to be. No, I would agree. However, it really depends on what your stakes are and what your conditions for success are. And that's something that we need to think about in our campaign. What are the conditions for success in this boss fight? Is it about killing the Archmage, killing the Imp, just severing the Imp's... um, Connection. Yeah, connection. Or... Is it about uh, stopping this this influx of devils that are coming in, or now stopping this influx of drow that are coming up? What is what is the ultimate goal here? What are we out to do with this level of revenge? Are we punishing? Is this vengeance? What are we doing? And we need to know that. And in the last episode, we talked about preparing for a boss fight. You as a dungeon master are going to be able to sit there and listen to your players. Talk about how they're prepping. You're going to know what their motivations are. And during the prep for this session, you should be thinking, okay, do these conditions line up with what they're trying to do? I completely agree with you. And um, that actually leads me kind of to the next question here, which um, how 
we've built a ton of encounters in this in this campaign uh, builder series. We know that there's going to be multiple ways to end the boss fight um, as the DM, but we want to know how can we use these kind of uh, tricks we've developed building these dynamic encounters in our boss fight, right? We'll talk about some dangers of boss fights later, but what what are what are these uh, tips and tricks we have for making a boss fight a little bit more dynamic? I mean, the number one thing is the terrain. 100% agree with you. I was hoping to get to it. Yeah, so it's the shifting terrain. It, I would say environment, not just terrain. That's true. Uh, specifically for me, terrain, just because I want them to be worried about more than just hit point totals mm-hmm. and DPS, right? I, I don't I don't give a shit about the mechanic side of it. That's not the story we're going to tell. We are not going to tell the story of 107 hit uh, points worth of damage was dealt in this round. We're going to say, and then I crit. And caved in his skull. Yeah. Right? It is the narrative there. And so the most useful tool that we have is creating a dynamic terrain that is constantly moving. That has got them distracted. And they're trying to focus on this, but you're pulling their attention with something else. Exactly. Right? And so that's that's got to be it. It's, it's the terrain. You remember the only thing that I remember from episode three of Star Wars is the fight at the volcano. Everything else. And oh, and I'm sorry. And... No, it also wasn't really a volcano. It no, was a I know fire, lava, planet. Sure, but that is—it's the terrain that I remember. It's not the details of of what the Trade Federation was up to or what was at stake well, with the. It's George Lucas writing. He'd abandoned that by now, right? <laughs> right. But I remember the terrain of it. I remember the thing from the Matrix sequels. The only thing that I remember are the thousands of. Agent Smith's fighting in the rain or the top of a high of cars on a highway. Yep. Right. You, when you think of the Terminator movie, right. And you, you think about the fight that they have. The important thing here is the terrain because they killed him using the giant shop. Yeah. Essentially they lucked into their location, which is why it's shitty writing in a bad movie. But there's you, also, there's also, um, you look at the alien movies, you look at uh, 2001, a space odyssey. There are villains here. It is the environment working against the heroes that makes this memorable. Or not even it's working against them. It's just a memorable, unique environment to go through. That's one of the great things about... Let, let's get superficial. Scott Pilgrim. You remember that movie because of the shit that is going bling, bling, bling in the background visually. It is the shit going on. I cannot tell you beat by beat what happened in these fights. Mm-hmm. I remember Indiana Jones getting chased by a boulder... I'm going to have to rack my brain to remember exactly how the cultist who ripped out a heart died. Yeah. What happened with that guy? Yeah. Right. When I, I, I know that these guys had their faces melted off at the end of Raiders of the Last Ark, but that was an environmental thing. Indy didn't do that. Oh, they, Indy was useless in that movie. And, and yeah. Yeah. In, in the, the end, he accomplished nothing. Have, yeah. The same thing would have happened if he wasn't there. But this is what I remember over and over again. When I think of The Last Crusade, again, I'm going to hit Indiana Jones again, apparently. When I think of The Last Crusade, I think about the trials, the penitent man. Yeah. Right? And these are the things that I remember. I don't remember the the Nazi villain in that. I remember the Nazi woman in that. But that's a little different. She's, <laughs> she's, she's, she's Terry's type. Um, the, <laughs> but... But I remember there are so few villains that 
outshined their terrain in their final battle. To the point even where when you think of Voldemort, you picture him in a fight, you picture him at the Battle of Hogwarts with like everything blasting off around him, the showdown with with Harry and everything's like gray and there's the two big like laser beams hitting each other. I'm totally going to piss off all the Harry Potter fans here. That's all right. They deserve to be pissed off. Oh, fuck those books. Hot take, Dan, and I disagree. But but there are definitely the terrain moments that you remember. We remember Independence Day not because of the Jeff Goldblum in a spaceship uploading to the thing to Windows. We remember the fighter battles. That's why we want to watch it a second time. No, I, I remember Jeff Goldblum up, uh, uploading a virus to an alien program. But that's not the boss battle you think of. The boss battle you think of is Randy Quaid driving himself up into it. You picture... Yeah, that's right. Up. Like a suppository yeah, into yeah. the alien spaceship. Yeah. I also remember Welcome to Earth. Yes. Yeah. So there are... All sorts of these boss battles from popular culture that we see, but it is, it's the terrain. That's the number one thing. The second thing that we remember more than anything else is, of course, resource management. Mm-hmm. As we strip away what people have, John McClane gets his ass whooped. How many hit points does that guy have by the, by the last fucking battle? Right? Like the single digits every time. <laughs> um, you know what? I have too many hit points. Let's walk across some glass. <laughs> How you know the trope in the shootout? I only have one bullet left. Got to make this one count. We've seen that so many times because this is your one shot to do it. Yeah. Right. So that's another thing that when we think boss battles, we only think villains. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And for D and D, the resources that we can control are a spell slots, b hit points, hit points. C, healing potions. D, the class features like rage, rage yep. per day, uh, key points, uh, sorcery points, that kind of thing. And there are some, I think, pretty much for almost every class. Not everyone has them, but most of them do. Yeah. Um, I'm hard-pressed. To think, well, I guess the fighter technically has second wind. They can do once. Yeah, that's their battle master. And then you got your superiority dice. Yeah. So, so there's stuff out there. Um... The, the secondary level of of resource management. Because let's be honest, we're not counting bows and arrows anymore. No, we're not count, we're count, not counting ammunition. Um, we might not even really be counting wand charges. Uh, I might be counting wand charges just because I have so few of them. Yeah. But I'm counting NPCs as resources. Time is a resource that is taking down. This is your shot. This was one of the things I was going to mention when we were covering the environment and terrain is sometimes the environment and terrain isn't just the ground upsetting or, or the, the, the atmosphere of what's going on. But um, I find environment and terrain is often going to be that thing that distracts the players from the straight on brawl, right? And and that's kind of what you're getting at. But in, in the terms of D&D, this is like, the portal that is opening that you need to close while fighting the end last boss. Yeah, and, or the deck save you have to make to stand on your feet as the volcano is erupting around you and stuff like, like that, right? Like the the acrobatics and athletics checks you have to do to jump from um, floating platform to floating platform. Make no mistake, layer actions and regional effects exist because that is that fucking important. Yeah, they only exist for boss monsters. That's it. They do not exist for minions or for beasts or boring things. It's boss monsters only. When the designers of the game say, hey, we have to make this guy feel special, 
they give him environmental effects. Yep. That is what we should be looking for when we design our own encounters. Yeah. And I mean, we, we've always had, we've said this multiple times on this and the regular podcast, the fact that there aren't very many things like auras happening with a lot of these big, ba- uh, these big bad boss like monsters upsets both of us because there should be more just an eight environmental ability to these. Monsters. Yeah. My big problem with it, look, the layer effects supersede yep. what auras would find. That's great. But that means that every boss fight is. In the boss's house, right? Yeah. And that, what happens if the boss comes to your house? That's still not a good time, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no. And so what you have to do is have some sort of way that the boss is affecting the terrain around you. Yeah. And that can simply be the fact that they fly in first and their minions are coming. They're tearing down the walls and they're, they're working their way in. Yeah. Right? And so that's, that's the other kind of boss fight that we have is the zombie horde. Yeah. Where... At that point, though, it's almost a skill challenge against the environment than it is a straight combat fight. You're playing a survival game, not not necessarily a numbers game. Yeah, but even if you look at the survival video games that exist out there, they're still built with... Resource management. Not just resource management. Fucking Nemesis. Yeah. Right? In Resident Evil. That is the, the quintessential... Right. Apparently, Survival this horror. episode of the podcast is the flex our nerd muscles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> here's man. our nerd clout. <laughs> All right. So, <sighs> Wrath of Khan. Here's why it's the best. Mo- no. Okay. So, <laughs> we so, haven't even breached comic books yet. No. And or Doctor Who. But all of these things are all about boss battles at the end of arcs. Yep. That's what this comes to over and over again. And you have to remember that we we know because of the stakes. Because of the environment, the terrain, because of the resource management. These are the things that we have to keep an eye out for as we're designing these boss battles. Otherwise, it's just a pool of hit points. And I've said on this podcast and many times in my life, 5th edition sucks when it comes to monster design. Yes. Well, it's it's just unimpressive. It's pool of hit points, pool of hit points, pool of hit points. That's it. Right, you have action economy occasionally, and every once in a while, for if you grab a Mordenkind of Stoma Foes villain, you you get to deal with that too. Right, they've got some neat stuff going on over yeah. there, but for the most part, the monster manual is a snooze fest. Every creature is exactly the same on paper. There's nothing about tactics in there, and there's nothing about really cool, fun, unique uh, monsters that are boss monsters. All the unique shit is on Medusas and intellect devourers and and oozes. None of these are boss monsters. The boss monsters are just piles of hit points that can cast spells. They live in a lair. That's all it is. Yeah. But the reason that they are boss monsters, the reason that they have just that basic amount of stats is because they expect you to deal with movement and terrain and to use tactics and to throw on minions. And they are not expecting you to just have a room with a dragon in it. <laughs> that is not enough. No. Um, this actually brings to mind uh, one last thing I want to talk about before we get to our encounters, Adam. What are some of the dangers of running a boss battle? Well, I mean, obviously the boss going down in the first round. The yeah. underwhelming nature of a boss battle that is not designed properly. When your when your mage casts time stop, and there we go, the encounter's done. Congrats, everybody. You've won. Let's all go home. Or your paladin walks up and crits with a max level smite. Yes. And so... This happens, this is why I say resource management is key. If they are showing up with their heavy spells, you did not put enough shit in their way, right? A boss battle is not the final room. 
The boss battle is the last layer of the dungeon. Think about old school Diablo. Yeah. Right? It was... You think about the last level of original Mario. You were always so pissed off when Bowser killed you because you got to play that whole fucking level again. And it took forever to get through this whole level. And that's that's that old school design of they are eating away at... at Patience. Not, <laughs> not just your patience. Well, I mean, there's definitely tension, yes. right? The longer the time goes on. But they're eating away at your... How many lives do you have left? Right? Uh, have you eaten a flower? Can you get hit by one thing first? Right? So the idea of you getting to that last level with all of your power-ups still intact is impressive. And no D&D group should ever do that. Because a dungeon master is designing their final encounters to be specifically geared towards this party, these people, this skill set. Well, that that brings in the um, offset of an underwhelming boss fight. The overwhelming boss fight where the DM... Through that CR-14 encounter at that party of level 3 adventurers. That's not a boss fight. It's a slaughter. Yeah, right? Like, um, because they leave this kind of space in the big boss monster design, um, for you to add things like minions and environmental and stuff, often the encounters can run away from a DM and they just get too deadly too quick. And that's when you have DMs who are running into fatigued parties... Who are running into this last fight that was balanced for a party that was fully rested, right? And and now you have a party who is just going to get wiped across the floor back and forth in two rounds, right? This we is why, this why been, I say design the entire level you as design a Design the entire level, exactly. Um, um, so you got to watch your underwhelming. You also got to watch your overwhelming. What else you got to watch, Adam? the way that people are going to counter this so that the DM is in control of exactly what the resource management is, as well as what terrain you're coming through. I need them to come through the front door and not through the window because the front door has a trap, which will eat away at their ability to have a spell save. They can, and on and on and on. And I'm on hearing on. the chugga chugga of a railway. Exactly. Like yeah. th- this is railroading uh, 101. This is the DM saying my precious battle. Yeah. And as much as you don't want your your villain, your boss, to die in the first round or two of this, you want it to be hard, you want it to be scary, don't railroad your party into doing it. If they come at it from a unique way, they have defeated this. They will remember that. I played through Curse of Strahd. Strahd turned invisible and ran down a flight of stairs to get past us doing a, a stealth check. Passed on the stealth check, but there were holes in the stairs. He went to jump over it. And Terry, who is DMing, rolled a natural one in front of the table. And Strahd tripped and landed beside my cleric, face down on the stairs, and went, oof. And at that point, I rolled uh, a perception check, knew exactly where he was, and I just smashed my warhammer down on the top of his head. He pops visible again, and we just fucking raffle-stomped him. He did not get another round. Oh, wow. We just went to town. And because there was the sun sword that was there, he couldn't regenerate when he, once he hit zero hit points. But that was it. It was one round. And I remember that. It was memorable because not only was it interesting, it never should have happened. It was so <laughs> stupid that it happened that way. That after all of this posturing all the way through the entire thing, he tripped on his cape walking downstairs. <laughs> yeah, all, all, all of uh, Strahd's, like... Um 
machinations throughout the entire thing, and it it's ended with a Three Stooges bit. Yeah, but it still ended with us beating him down. I remember it because at no point, literally one of the players said, I'm just going to stop using my sword and just keep kicking him in the face. Because he only had a handful of hit points left and we knew it. Like he was, he was barely hanging on. Yeah. And so we were literally kicking him to undeath, to, to life, to redeath, re-death. something. Redeath. So, um, so to mega death? No, that's just an awesome band. There is something to be salvaged from bad, from bad choices like that. If they think outside the box, and we didn't, we just happened upon that ridiculous shit. Yeah. When that happens, you as a dungeon master need to roll with it. Don't railroad that shit because remember, this is about them using their agency to defeat it. It doesn't matter the circumstances. The number one thing the players want is to use their agency to defeat the bad guy. Yeah. And, and, on top of all that, one of the other dangers you could have, especially with a boss fight, is pressing pause so that you can monologue. Um, oh, I do all my monologues, my monologuing ahead of time and just through projections. Yeah. I hologram my way through it. Um, this this is on both the DM and the players who uh, every single player wants to do the iconic interruption in the middle of the monologue to like throw something or shoot something or disintegrate something right um and every dm wants to have their big you know soup like lex luther monologue or 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 goldfinger at the end of goldfinger um that was my monologue. nickname in college shouldn't be sticking your finger there it wasn't brown finger dan it was I, guess that's finger. True. I guess that's true anyways so um over monologuing over prepping uh this kind of thing only to get it interrupted is going to be uh, another one of these temptations for a DM to railroad to say, no, I, I wrote this out. I want to get this entire thing out. So players, I'm taking away your agency for a second while I do this. And I've seen that at a table um, several times where we as players weren't allowed to do anything so the villain could get his monologue out. I have a very simple solution to this. Do it beforehand. Do it beforehand. It's I, I I like to put a hologram, right? That's that's my big answer is he just projects himself floating over the party for the entire lead up to this battle. Mm-hmm. You'll never get to me because I defeated this and blah, 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 and just on and on and on. But there's other ways to do it. You can taunt them with a series of letters. You can have a my master plan written in crayon on a piece of paper tucked in his pocket. And once they killed him, they can pull it out and... Uh, okay, we're going to loot his body. You find a letter. What does the letter say? And here it is. I describe all the plot. One of the one of the best ways I've seen this done is with uh, journal entries that the party found for sessions before they get to the final thing. Where they got to witness the rapid descent of the main bad guy's sanity. Where it started off with him just doing what he thought was best to do. And then he started rationalizing some of these great evils that the party had stopped or had been involved with uh, coming against throughout the sessions. So um, the party got to see his rapid descent and got to see what his plan was all the way up until the final thing where the last monologue was just a confirmation of all of the things that we had already known with these little breadcrumbs that were laid out in front of us. My, my final thing too, my favorite thing to do, I know that I have run a boss properly 
when they trap him in a corner and it's time to finally fight. Because all of my bosses are secretly cowards. They, unless they have the overwhelming odds in their favor, they're not going to have this fight. They're going to try and live another day. My bosses do the thing the parties are too stupid to do. And that is retreat. Yeah. And so they've got to back him in a corner. But when it when they finally do it, I know I've run him properly when he has nothing to say. But I guess it's finally come to this. And in that moment, I know that they know exactly who this guy is, what he did, why he did it, how he did it, the methods, the motivations, the tactics. They know all of it. There's nothing left. It has just come down to a slug match Mm -hmm. between me and you, roll initiative. That's when I know that I'm not worried about getting the plot out. And so this is why you and I, in this series, we have been... Dropping these breadcrumbs here this entire time. Yep. So when there is the imp reveal that happens, they're going to say, oh my God, that makes perfect sense. And I don't have to sit there and say, and I was with him way back when at this time. And when you saw me talking over here. No, I've, I've done my work. It's going to be so much more powerful when the party goes, wait, you were the one he was talking to. You, you were the one that cast that spell. You were the one that was there with the when you trapped us in the house. Yeah. You were the one. And so just... Having that that confirmation that, yes, it was me, come at me, bitch. That is what I want out of a boss fight, right? That is what it should be, especially low levels. I'm not overcomplicating it with, oh, he splits into, he's part ooze and he splits into three different versions of himself. And you can do that. You can do all that crazy multiple Agent Smith nonsense. Yep. However you want to do it, you can throw layers and layers and layers on or have a, the NPC back you up or betray you in the middle of it. You're Vader to Palpatine at the end of Jedi, right? You can go through all of this, but it's level five. It's the first big bad evil guy yeah. that we're wiping out. Lieutenant number one. So here we are. So it's a straightforward, easy to comprehend boss fight. Yep. And their resources are very manageable right now. They don't have... 20 levels of, of gaining shit and saving things and, and they're taking... still dipping their toes into their subclasses. They probably haven't multi-classed yet unless their name is Dan. Yep. At which point they've probably got one or two other classes under. Well, them. they're level five. They've got five different classes here. <laughs> so so if you would just let me play the one that is one of every class. I have wanted to play that character myself, and I keep building it and looking at it mechanically and going. Yikes. No. No, no, no. No, the dice do not love me enough to have the stats to pull that shit off. Yeah, I guess that's true. As is tradition with this, um, we are now putting together this big boss fight. And as we have built it in our encounters, we are building up to the boss fight and then the boss fight itself as uh, six total encounters, three each. So, Adam, let's roll off and go through our encounters. I got a six. I got a 15. All right, buddy, you go first. First of all, we are going to reveal his laser nipples. What? Nope. nope. I think you uh, th- this doesn't say laser nipples. This says nuperibos. Ah, there we go. Yeah. So as the party escorts some innocents to safety, remember they split it up. They had the ones that were going on a suicide mission, the ones that were going to take on the guards. Yep. But before anything else, they've got to get the rest of them that are not partaking, that did not volunteer, were not drafted for this. The true innocence, they got to get them out of the city, off to safety. Either you move on without us, or we will catch up with you later, or wait for us here, whatever that that moment is. Mm-hmm. But they're getting them away. They've got a couple of farewells because not all of us may make it through here. 
Right. That is when someone professes their love for one of the one of the characters. Just come back. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, a projection of the Archmage appears. See? Love me my holograms. Yeah. And he's going to be floating 20 feet up in the air. And you can see through him. You know he is not there. And he is going to point and using some sort of thaumaturgy, his voice will boom through the area. And he is going to single out where you are right when you think that you've got the right hiding spot or this is the way to safety. And you're in your last calm moment, he's going to take that away. And he is going to point some Nipuribos at you. Now, Nipuribos are particularly nasty. Um, obviously, this is a role-playing to combat moment, yep. right? Uh, Nipuribos are uh, medium-sized devils. And I'm leaning into the devils specifically because we've got an imp and Asmodeus and, and whatnot. So we've got this these Nipuribos. They are just covered in rolls and rolls and rolls of fat. They are naked and they are starving. And when they get onto the trail of someone, they do not stop. They are coming. They will find you. They know where you are. You can run, but if you ever stop, they will get closer. Mm -hmm. These things are Terminators. They're also ridiculously low level. You guys will be able to wipe them out. The party should be able to kick the shit out of them by the handful. No problem. Without really using any spell slots. But what I've done here now is this is my terrain factor. I don't have a zombie horde moving at them. I just always have 10 or 12 of these things coming. They move slowly, but they know where you are and they're not going to give up. And you can hear them moaning and grunting. You can smell them coming because they are sweaty. They are disgusting. And all they want to do is eat and feast upon you. And these are fiends out of, I want to say, Mordenkainen's. Um, I think you're right with that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I am too. But they are these nasty little devils. That are, they're not as powerful as an imp. They're still going to respond to the imp's commands. Mm-hmm. By the way, our imp is not a standard imp. Imps yeah, are CR1. Surprise, surprise, yeah. Yeah, imps are CR1. He's still CR1 as far as hit points go, but his AC is going to be through the roof. He's got some rings and gems and scepters and shit. He's, yeah. He's beefed up. He's holding that gem that we recovered before, right? So, um, but these Nipuribos, there's going to be round one, and then the Archmage is going to stop and say, I, and he's just going to taunt the party at the end of this and say, they're coming for you. They will always come for you and your friends are not safe as long as they're with you. And this is, this should separate the party out from the NPCs. So this is also resource management that is happening as well. Nice. Pressure is up. Resources are down. And here we are. Every time that they kill some, he is going to pop back up and laugh and say, I summoned in and I'm going to roll out, I don't know, 3d4. Every time that they stop for a short rest, these things are banging down the door. These are a constant environmental threat to them all of the time. Keep moving. The pressure's up. Here we go. You guys are budged. Yep. The only way to stop this is to kill him, stop him, and then kill whoever's left of these Nipparibo. So for my encounter, I have a exploration to combat encounter. Um, and I really wanted to pull on the fact that this... Archmage is from the desert where we're from. He's experienced a lot of the same things we've experienced, and he is going to be throwing things at your party to slow you down as you are laser-focused to fight him. The big thing he's going to draw on here are the water mages from way back when. And he's going to bring in a group of enslaved or um, controlled or purchased water mages who are going to create a deluge 
um, a waterfall on one of the sides of these collapsed buildings or a river that your party now has to navigate through. What um, kind of encounter is this? This is an exploration to combat. Okay. Once you start making your way through these rapids or whatever they end up summoning, these two water mages or three water mages will then um, rise up out of the water, riding water elementals and attack your party. And now you have to manage crossing this hazardous terrain of this deluge while these water mages defend the leader of their order, who is the archmage. I like that. Yeah. I like tying that shit together. Um, I like the idea too that if if any of them live, once we've defeated the Archmage, the mage in the party may be able to step up, get a couple of water spells given to them as they take uh, take over this this sect of water mages. Yeah. Now they're not going to follow around, but we're your people. We live in the desert, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, I I I really like that. Again, the terrain matters, and we're eating up resources. Now you put a bunch of these devils, these slow-moving devils, slowly coming at you in a wave. Which, which, funny enough, we know the Nuparibos are coming. We know that they're tracking us. The outdoorsmen might just say, hey, we need to cross a body of water to hide our scents. And Doesn't work could, that way. These guys know where you are. I know, but the party might not know that. True. So you lead them to the body of water to jump on them with these guys. Right? It just it works on a few different levels. So, again, what I want to do here is I want to start eating up resources. I'm looking here at uh, more terrain, but I'm going to make this one a skill challenge now. I want to go back to the idea of devils. We've got a chain devil now. And we're starting to see that things are starting to get real. Chain devils are CR8. Yeah, that, that will ruffle stomp the party. Which is why it's not a combat. That's why this is a skill challenge. The Chain Devil is going to be in some building. The way that it's collapsed is that it can't get to the party. However, the Chain Devil can control the chains around. They've got the ability to control chains that are within a certain area and whatnot. So I'm just going to litter this area with chains and for the sake of the skill challenge, have it be able to affect chains for grappling and damaging purposes out to 400 feet. Which is way beyond what it can normally do. Yeah. But it means that the party's got to get through these chains as this chain devil stalks them from a distance but can't reach them. Hoping I, to grab them and pull them in. I, I, I like the fact that you, you could start this entire thing by like having your party walk for a good little bit through things. And there you mentioned, you guys notice some chains lying on the ground. Yeah, this is going to be subtle as they continue to explore. They're trying to get closer and closer and closer. One of the things that I think that we should hit with the water mages is the fact that the mage himself has a layer. The mage's tower, the wizard tower that the archmage has, is here in the city nearby. Yeah. And this is where he's setting everything off from. And this is also likely where he managed to, or where he built the spell that collapsed the city. Or, more specifically, where he got possessed. Either way. Right? So, I like the idea of them having to travel there. Alright? A lot of the stuff that we've done is terrain-based. Alright? They are going to hunt this guy down. This is part of what they've built to. And this chain devil is going to try to stop them with this environmental effect. He is going to grapple them and try to pull them, I don't know, 20 feet around. But it's like 400 feet, so there's 20 rounds. Of course, they are going to be able to get out in time. But what he's doing is he's slowing them down while the Nuparibo are getting closer and closer and closer. 
And so if they start to run, they just get closer to the chain devil. You are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And it's skill challenge to get through. And they may end up blowing some spell slots and using up some health potions and resources here. But this is all about the skill challenge to get by this incredibly dangerous area that's going to tie them up. Literally tie them up. And I am also going to probably invest in some way to disarm them with chains with ugly hooks on the end of them. Because these things move like snakes. Oh, yeah. So, for my next encounter, I've got a uh, combat into role-playing encounter. And I want to start to lay the groundwork on what is exactly going on with all of these kind of minions that this Archmage seems to be able to control. Um, and, And even the Imp is able to control. And what I want is several of the humans and allies, I want these people to be minor NPCs that you have left in your journey to this big metropolis-sized city, um, come out of the woodwork and attack your party around here. They have been brought here and tasked with killing you. And these are your friends. These are your allies that weren't here before, and your party's going to start to wonder what the hell's going on when they start seeing the blank expressions in their faces. And that is when I will reveal that a succubus has been hired by the imp to take these people over to attack you. And you note that the back of the neck of each of these uh, allies from previous cities, previous sessions, has this weird, uh, uh, sorry, devilish, infernal glyph that glows. And as you um, figure out the process to turn this glyph off, you also have to fight this succubus and fight her down so that, or, or it could be a... Incubus. I don't really care either way. Um, but They're the same creature, by the way. Yeah. They, they gender swap. They so gender swap, it's yeah. the same creature. But um, you fight your allies, but you have to be careful not to kill them because you know they're under some mind control. And then as you finally kill the succubus and get a chance to um, remove the mind control, you're now waking up old allies who have no idea why they're there. Or where they are, even. Or where they are. And guess what? You got more NPCs to worry about. Yeah, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to add a whole bunch of drow in here as well. So that maybe these were the people from the rural, from the farm. Remember you guys escaped and whatnot? And then the devils, or the mages, or whoever it was, captured the entire party of these captured slaves and the slavers. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like this. And so there are some like kill the drow, but leave the rest or maybe bring the drow over to your side or and see how that works out. Good luck with that. There's going to be a there's going to be some persuasion and insight roles here for sure. So I I really like that. Um, it's kind of horrifying as well. But the other thing that we're doing is we haven't used up these high level spell slots yet. Your party should still have third level spell slots. Mm hmm. Because they're going to want those against the Archmage. So they're sitting there blowing cantrips as much as they can, hoping, hoping that, that they've got enough major spell slots. And every time that they get in any sort of major trouble, they've got to use uh, level two, I guess. I don't want to blow the level three slot yet, right? So they're going to do everything in their power to keep that, to keep running. And remember, they are actively being hunted still, right? So they cannot stop here and just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to knock them out and leave them behind. Those Naparibo are going to eat them yep. if they leave the NPCs behind. They got to wake them up and bring them with. And 
these are now liabilities. Yeah. So one of the resources that you're stretching here is attention. My last one is finally the face-to-face with the Archmage. He's going to proceed to mop the fucking floor with the party. It is going to be damn near impossible to even really hit him. Because he's going to have, you know, multiple illusions of himself that are up and running. I'm going to give him layer effects in here as well because we caught up to him in his tower. And before he can land a killing blow on one of these these party members, he's going to give him the opportunity to say any last words. And whatever that person says is going to snap the concentration. And the Archmage, for a moment, will come back to himself. When he comes back to his senses, he's going to cast out the imp. He's going to cast out the imp's influence. And he's going to beg the party, help me, as he collapses useless on the floor. Will they go for the coup de grace? Now that he is weak and simple, we've revealed the imp now. Yeah. The imp blinks into existence. They can see the imp who is sitting there and trying to overtake him again. And then maybe he turns and smashes the controlling stone or whatever it is that he's been using. And so he just collapses there. The Nipporebo are coming and the imp says, I'm not done with you yet. And the imp teleports him away and then flees, flying, and turns invisible, running down the hallway. And now the players, they've got to chase this flying invisible creature right into the lair of the Archmage who has lost touch with reality and is shooting blindly at anything that moves. Yikes. This is obviously a combat to exploration as you're chasing the imp. That's the big thing here is chasing the imp, right? You're going to get your asses kicked. While you are chasing the imp, there's going to be that, do we stop? Do we heal? What about the NPCs? Who's doing death saves right now as the imp is getting away cackling? And you know, you can hear him say something like, oh my god, we've got to get back to the portal. So you know your window of opportunity is closing. Yep. Go for the kill shot now. If they do not take the kill shot, that's it. They get away. The imp gets away. The mage is a hostage. We'll see him in tier four. If they hunt them down, maybe the the archmage blows one of them up. Yep. Could happen. So this is where things get fucking real. Now what we have is the archmage himself has become an environmental hazard as you are fighting this superpowered imp, which should really be a CR5. To a superpowered imp. Goes from CR1 to I'll give him enough items to be a CR5. Sure. So, Dan, bring us home. Okay. To wrap this up, we have the Archmage and the Imp are standing in this uh, area of the tower, probably at the very top, because it's got to be at the top of the tower. It's just where this last battle has to take place. And, um,. There are floating chunks of this city that circle this place. And you see in the very center is a massive portal. And I want to have a combat to combat encounter where you are fighting the imp and the archmage at the same time. The archmage is mostly doing like environmental things. He's flipping um, platforms that your players are standing on. He's preventing you to uh, he's preventing your party from getting to the imp who's working this portal to try to summon out some sort of big beast to distract your party so him and the archmage could make a getaway. Now, along the way here, you're going to realize that the archmage has the same glyph on his back that you saw with everybody else. You're going to realize that the imp is the 
mastermind of all of this. And the imp is on the edge of summoning forth some sort of large devilish creature. And what it's going to end up doing is giving your party an option. Because they're going to be, the imp and the archmage are on different ends. And you're going to be given the option to save your friend and get rid of this glyph and rescue him. Or kill the imp and prevent him from running away. I like the idea of the portal opens up. And the imp is soon going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, bringing something out. And you know that the imp is going to get through that portal. And that thing that steps out is what is the largest devil, the heaviest devil, a bone devil? I think they're large size. I think so, yeah. You're talking just normal size, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 Glabrazoo? Glabrazoo's are demons. Pit fiend? Pit fiend, maybe. I like the idea of the pit fiend stepping out onto the edge of the tower, which in my head is horizontal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's perpendicular to gravity. Or, well, it's like it's like angled up at like a 30 degree angle. And it is starting to crumble. And he is reaching for the Archmage. This is a Balrog and Gandalf moment. But you have the opportunity to save the Archmage or take out this, this imp. You cannot fight this Pit Fiend. No. This Pit Fiend is an environmental hazard. The weight of the Pit Fiend is collapsing this tower and you're going to send that motherfucker down into the abyss. That is going to be a drow problem. Yeah, and, and and when you're doing this, I would really reinforce the fact that this this tower is leaning out over blackness. Yeah, there's nothing right? there. This is descended past where sunlight can reach. And so this is this is your moment. This is here's the other thing that we didn't discuss. You want to know the moments that you remember from D and D and from video games? The moments you had to make a choice, and you never know if it was the right one. So they are either going to go after the imp and lose the archmage, who could very well be one of the most powerful benefactors and uh, allies they have going forward from here, assuming he doesn't fall under the mental thrall of another creature. Or they've got to, they're going to save him and let the imp go, at which point that imp is a problem again in the future. Yeah, and and you have foiled these this imp's plans, and if, if the party decides to save the um, archmage and the imp gets away... I know me as a DM, this imp is now a recurring threat to the party. I would even have him not show up until tier four. But now he's back and he is even more powerful. He is commanding armies. I think a little Napoleon looking guy. (laughs) Yeah, walking back and forth among these gigantic monstrous creatures, right? He earned his place. And I... See, I have a very special imp close to my heart in all of my games who who keeps turning down all of the promotions that he would get so that he can maintain being an imp so that everyone underestimates him. But I love the idea of of there being an imp that's just kind of floating around and you see pit fiends with a little imp skittering around and that's when you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's the guy that, that put us through hell early on. Yeah. He was the one that sunk the city and killed... Literally millions of people. This is a memorable final battle. And we still have the Nipparibo are coming. So there's not a moment to really breathe at the end. You're going to have to deal with them. And sure, at this point, there's only going to be like, what, a handful of them? You should be able to take them out. But I bet you don't have spell slots. Oh, if you're not, well done. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Like, as, as a DM, just well done. Uh, and if your party at this point is so on the raggedy edge that they are falling apart, 
They've lost the Archmage and they've lost the Imp for some crazy reason. It's all gone sideways. The Pit Fiend is holding on by one claw and crawling up to get them. The Nipparibo are there and your your players are just like, well, shit. Rock in a hard place. The tower's crumbling out from underneath them. There is no winning here. The other thing about a boss fight is you have to serve them the win. Yes. Otherwise, it's not a boss fight. Like we said earlier, it's a slaughter. It's just disguised as a boss fight. And we've already dropping a massively powerful imp, a massively powerful archmage, a pit fiend on them, plus the the terrain crumbling up from under their feet. If we were playing straight mechanics, numbers to numbers, we have slaughtered this party without a sweat. Which is why I say that that suicide mission was not a suicide mission. They've come to hell. Through some sort of DM fiat, the Deus Ex Machina moment saves the suicide mission, and the suicide mission will be enough of a decoy for the Nipparibo to be able to give your heroes the opportunity to escape, right? You cannot, you can end on a down note, you can have a player die, maybe even two, or even their characters, but <laughs> but you should not be murdering the entire party, it should not be a TPK, and if you think that it's going to be, this is when the Pit Fiend needs to step forward, or the Imp, and go for the capture, not the kill, or... The drow captain suddenly shows up with three dozen driders to take on the devils, yeah. right? Like, be caught in a war and just skill challenge your way out of the end of it, right? Like, whatever it is, there needs to be that moment of of victory, of getting away and looking around the table at each other going, holy shit, did we just do that? Yeah, and and as a DM going into that encounter, I would have a victory either way. A failure either way, what's going to happen, and that neutral ground, what is going to happen when they neither succeed nor fail, they're just stuck. And and that is, I would have kind of an idea of what I wanted to do for all of those situations moving into it, because ultimately this boss fight is going to be what the players make of it, and as a DM, everything after here is kind of hard to predict, right? So, so... Have kind of a, a, a solid idea of what's going to happen with the possible endings. And assuming your party all lives, move on from there. Yeah. Now, we, we know that we've got to go back home again. There's nothing else to do here except escape more drow. You're either going down into the pit or you are heading back home. You can't stay where you are. This is one of the reasons why we've given them so many NPCs. We've so also, many slaves free. We've also taken away so many. And we have, there's been a real body count here at such a, a low level. As we continue to move forward, we will see swelling numbers of NPCs. But remember, this number needs to ebb and flow. Yeah. There needs to be a, def, a definite swelling, but then a reduction as well of the sheer number of heads that you are trying to keep track of yeah. on the board. It's it's unwieldy to do this. Speaking from experience, too many NPCs is a killer. It also doesn't make the party feel special. It makes them feel like one of the crowd. Yeah. So when they leave here, the final thing is, I'm saying they need to go home. We need that moment, that breath. Now, we're not going to give them a breath. They're going to have random encounters to get back or all that shit, right? Like, it's D&D. They're getting a rest. They'll get a rest, but, yeah. but they need a break from this, this epic do-or-die feel. Because if it's all do-or-die, these boss fights just start to become white noise. Mm -hmm. So... The absence of boss fights are nearly as important as the existence of them in the first place. 
so that they do stick out. So I would say that we've had a couple of boss fights. We hunted down the leader of Lachlan's lot. We fought this archmage now. We, I would say that there's probably a boss fight with a drow captain or two as we've been fighting along here. Yeah, for sure. And of course, there were water mages and so on and so forth. We, uh, we exercised a demon not that long ago out yeah. of, out of a, a possessed priest. So there have definitely been these little boss fights all the way, but nothing like this. We have to ramp up how epic this feels right from the beginning of this session. And at the end of it, everyone should be exhausted. And then you know you've done a good job. Yeah. Adam, do we have any other points moving forward here about boss fights? I just have to say again, you have to expect the players to win. If through no fault of of yours, they do something stupid. They just decide to swan dive off the edge of the tower. They end up just not managing their hit points. They do one stupid thing after another. They have, uh, you know what? I've got the dice particularly hate them that day. It's not even that. I've got seven hit. Uh, I got seven health potions. I don't need to use them yet. I'm down to two hit points, but I'm gonna save them. When they start to make these ridiculous decisions, and you just watch it as it all falls apart around you, it's not your fault. But you do need to plan for them to actually have a victory. Mm-hmm. It's all about them walking away, patting themselves on the back. We've talked in the past about catharsis and about reward. There's no reward here except whether or not they got the Archmage, whether or not they stopped the Imp, whether or not they got revenge, whether or not they saved the NPCs. There's no new items. No. They'll get to level, but that's it. And so they need to have that story beat as well that helps them have that idea of success. So we're not handing out a mechanical success we're handing out, or a mechanical reward. We're handing out a story flavor reward. Fantastic. So, now that we've destroyed the villain, it's time to level up and head back to the Jingling City. This will let us reconnect with the world and make our scouting reports and see what is happening with our guild, which we haven't touched on very much while we've been in this sunken city. Tune in next week when we discuss the layers that our enemies will call home. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit, and you can email us at info at itsamimic.com. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week.